0: or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, before I begin, I, there's something that's been kind of a uh, stuck in my craw, as they say. I was criticized recently for using self-coaching in a non-coaching way, whatever that means. and. The person was obviously a coach in a traditional coaching modality. And I, I guess I guess my response is that when I first started self-coaching, this was back in my evolving this in the 90s. This is prior to the whole coaching epidemic that has spread throughout the country and countries. So when I first started self-coaching, I was thinking more of combining motivational psychology with a kind of cognitive behavioral psychology. And it was the melding of coaching, uh, the kind of the Newt Rockne coaching, like you can do it, get off the bench, you know, motivational stuff to get you going. And and when this person said that, it dawned on me that probably a lot of people might look at self-coaching as more of the traditional or when they, before they buy the book or read the book, they might be looking for more of a coaching rather than a psychologically embedded program for healing uh, distress, anxiety, depression, stuff like that. So when I began, I, I didn't know about the coaching phenomenon. That didn't happen. I was thinking of a motivational part of psychology because, in my estimation, dealing with anxiety and depression you you oftentimes need the motivation it's it's very difficult to sustain efforts over time especially if you're depressed and that's where i felt i needed to imbue my program with motivational insight into sustaining what's necessary to go the distance so I don't know why I uh, that's stuck in my craw but I guess because I guess there could be some confusion. If that makes any sense to you, good for you because I'm just ranting today. But today I, you know I wanted to talk about do normal people get anxiety and depression. All right so your first question what is normal? I want you from the very beginning to understand that we're all normal and what happens is that what is normal can become corrupted and that's where the learning comes in in my my latest book unlearning anxiety and depression i taught i use the term unlearning because in my parlance uh anxiety and depression emotional struggle these are learned problems and we over time have begun to become corrupted by and enslaved by the habits of thinking caused by insecurity, which we'll get into it a little bit, but which generate the motor behind anxiety and depression. Now, my self-coaching approach certainly is more aligned with uh, with the learned aspects of anxiety and depression, but not all struggle, you know, is... Predominantly learned. I mean, we know that there are psychotic disorders such as schizophrenia, autistic spectrum disorders, and self coaching, although can have some limited benefit, it is mostly geared and designed for the mild to moderate disorders. Speaking of disorders, when I first started my graduate school, And my first internship, where I saw my first few patients, I entered those those initial sessions with kind of a mindset. The mindset I had was that I was seeing two types of patients. One type was patients that required medication, and the other type was patients who didn't. Now they both might have been reporting anxiety or depression, but those that came to me with medication, I saw differently than those that came to me without medication. So I I made this discrimination. Unfortunately, uh, you know I, I I look back now with regret. Uh, that was a problem. That was that was wrong, because basically it's everything that is important in psychology, at least to me, occurs on a continuum. On one end, say the left end, we have mild or no problems. But as you progress along to the right, we go from mild to moderate to severe. And this is still the normal person who might be suffering more intensely on one side, the more severe side than the other. And that same person, because of circumstances, because of the duration And the intensity of the suffering may require medication. Does that mean that that person is different from the person that doesn't take medication? And the answer is no. The treatment, the self coaching treatment, is exactly the same. With someone who requires medication, the issue is that essentially we have become depleted. Uh, In order to understand that, let's backtrack a little bit to as we grow up and we are vulnerable creatures we develop strategies of control strategies to help us feel in control and not out of control if you have a strong foundation of course uh, this is a, a much less of a task than if you grow up in a troubled home if you grow up with difficulties with parents that may have difficulties you you then have more of a vulnerability since the child's sense of security comes right directly from the parent or the parental environment. A child that grows up in an an unstable environment will start to develop controlling strategies. Since they feel out of control, the child develops strategies to cope. And these are what we might call over-controlling strategies. Rather than relaxing and handling life as it unfolds, the child that grows up in a challenged environment will start to develop compensatory strategies, worrying, avoidance, hostility, things that help them feel more in control. And these habits will ensue over a lifetime if left unchecked. They are habits instigated by insecurity, and supported by insecurity let's take anxiety just for an example anxiety is predominantly a situation where we anticipate we worry we wring our hands in anticipation of what might happen what what might go wrong in our lives and this is a coping strategy because we're trying to figure out how to be safe it goes all the way back to our childhood And the child was, you know, just simply trying to figure out ahead of time how not to feel so vulnerable. Now, as that child grows up and as that child begins to incorporate that as a strategy, it will start to feed that habit, the habit of insecurity. So rather than worrying less, the the child now, the young adult, the adult, starts to worry more tries to control more about what's going to happen. And we start to identify, well, I'm just a worrier. I worry about everything. Well, you've become a worrier, and you've reinforced worrying throughout your life, and you're continuing to do that. Now, of course, the question is, well, why are you doing that? Uh, Well, you, you, you really don't have a great answer. You do it because it's reflexive, and you've been doing it for such a long time You're not really sure why you do it, but you don't feel safe if you don't do it. So you do it. Now, that doesn't sound so terrible, but what it does in a cumulative sense is it feeds the insecurity. So so if we're talking about a habit of insecurity, think of it as a muscle. If we keep feeding that muscle and feeding it and feeding it, what happens? The muscle gets stronger and stronger. The insecurity muscle. And why is that terrible? Well, because it's always at the expense of your self-trust. The more you trust the compensatory strategies of insecurity, let's stay with worry, the more you worry and trust that, the more you trust that by worrying you're going to be safer, the more your self-trust, your true capacity to be safe, that muscle atrophies. So it's an inverse correlation. We feed insecurity at the expense of our self-trust. Now, self-trust is the antidote to all suffering, because with self-trust, you don't have to control life. You can live your life fluidly, one foot in front of the other, and handle life as it comes to you. How do you do that? Well, with self-trust, you believe enough in yourself, in your resources, you have the confidence, and you let life unfold, because what occurs next or around that corner, you'll handle it. That's what self-trust does. The insecure or, quote, neurotic person without self-trust, of course, has to scurry around finding ways to handle that which may or may not happen. And this applies to anxiety, depression. With depression, it's just the opposite. We withdraw and our habit becomes one of kind of implosion rather than explosion. We, We tend to as a, a metaphor I'm fond of, if if the house has electric wiring in it, and the wiring heats up uh, with depression, of course, in order to not let the house burn down, because those wires are heating up. And eventually, you may even pull out the fuse. And you're saving the house from burning down. But you've, you've lost all the functionality of the house, you can't use your lights, your TV, your hair dryer. So with depression, yeah, you've, you've, manage to shut down things going further awry, but you begin to lose functionality. You begin to lose the capacity for joy, for, for potential happiness. So habits of insecurity become part of our lives. Part of our normal life becomes contaminated and we just live according to our habits now why do we do that as i kind of insinuated because we're identified with our habits and this is why it's important to understand the continuum because you know let me let me just digress one second because this is an important point and i don't want to lose it let it just float off into the ethers but one of the things that that has evolved in my thinking from graduate school to the present is the concept of mental illness. Now, from the very beginning, I, I it just rubbed me the wrong way. Treating patients slash clients as mentally ill. That it just that's another thing that's stuck in my craw. I got everything stuck in my craw today. But that was one that consistently bothered me. Because illness, illness is something you catch the disease, step on a rusty nail, you contract tetanus. these are things that come from the outside in. And mental illness, to me, or at least to the normal person, and we're all normal, remember that. If you say that you are mentally ill, well, what did you where did you catch your illness? <laughs> did you uh, somebody sneeze on you with uh, anxiety? So let's let's get away from the mental illness concept. And, you know, it really bothers me because with an illness, you're passive. You're a victim. You're a victim of a virus. You're a victim of tetanus. So I don't like the fact that if you feel you have a mental illness, that degrades you in some way where you feel, what's a guy to do? What's a gal to do? Oh, my goodness, I have a mental illness you may even wind up excusing yourself oh i can't apply for that job i'm just i have a a mental illness forget the term illness i mean i think it's if you really do suffer from anxiety and depression let's let's call it maybe mental health disorder or disorders i think a mental health disorder sounds a little a little more manageable than a mental illness With a mental health disorder, you are still capable of being in the driver's seat and deciding how you want want to handle it, what you're going to do about it. Now, from a self-coaching perspective, what you're going to do about it is you're going to learn to take that steering wheel. You're going to wrench it away from insecurity, and you're going to begin to apply some concerted, conscious thinking. Critical. Awareness, I call it. Now, you don't need to be aware of every thought you have, you drive your cuckoo, and you'd really have a mental health disorder. What you need to do is you need to realize when you feel that stress, I should mention that <laughs> I'm going to digress once more. I'll come back to the grabbing that steering wheel. But the reason the controlling strategies, Create disharmony and difficulty and struggle in our lives is because they create stress, anxiety, worrying, depression. These are stressful situations. Stress depletes chemistry. It's as simple as that. So, when stress depletes chemistry, in times our normalizing capacity with those homeostatic tendencies that we have to balance ourselves naturally and normally become compromised. We're depleting ourselves faster than we could balance ourselves, chemically speaking. So our brain chemicals, our balancing chemicals, are being so depleted that we are now creating a state of imbalance. And that's where we go from maybe in an anxious or depressed mood into an anxiety or, or a depressive disorder, because our chemicals are truly now unbalanced. And that's why medication can help. Especially with severe or depression, suicidal ideation, it's essential that there be some psychiatric intervention because the chemicals, the, str- the stress that has created such an imbalance over time because of our need to over control life and overstress ourselves, what's happened is that now we are at such an imbalance that we really need some help, kind of bringing us back into balance. So our normal balancing. Homeostatic processes can handle the normal stress of life, because there is always stress in life. It's life itself. But when you generate your own stress, when you generate chronic stress by worrying, by what-ifing, by anticipating, then again the depletion occurs so rapidly that it's very hard to replenish. So I, I I'm sorry for the digression, but I just wanted to mention that anxiety, depression. Uh, as we go along that continuum, it's it's the continuum itself represents that if you go from a state of mild or normalcy without any symptoms and you start to progress, what's happening is that you're feeding insecurity, you're feeding the, the habit of insecurity, and it's a cumulative effect in terms of the stress that it generates. So over time, the more stress, the more stress, days, weeks, months, years go by. So you're starting to deplete, deplete, deplete. And that's how you progress along that continuum. And what was maybe a mild mood disorder has now turned into a substantial anxiety or depression. So we've got to break the train or the reflexive uh, knee-jerk capacity we have to just indiscriminately keep feeding our insecurities. So again, now we come back to where where I digressed before. I don't know. You're going to have to <laughs> kind of keep notes, I guess. Next time, I'll try to be a little more organized. But prior to my digression in terms of talking about how stress depletes, I was talking about the mental illness and getting in the front seat. And let's not call it an illness. Let's call it a mental health disorder. And in order to take the wheel back, you have to become, I mentioned before I got distracted, I mentioned the critical awareness, and you can't be aware of every single thought because, yes, that would drive you cuckoo. So what you need to do is you need to realize that when you're feeling the stress, and you you know what I'm talking about, you feel your kind of blood pressure rising and you feel yourself tensing up or maybe maybe a knot in your stomach. You know, when you're starting to feel stressed, and put that in quotes, check out your thoughts. What are you thinking? Where are your thoughts going? now? And maybe a better way to put this is, Who's thinking? Is it me, my healthy, normal self? Or is it my neurotic, insecurity-driven thinking? Because insecurity-driven thinking has a, a childlike quality. In fact, I call it the child reflex since it was laid down early in life. And it's a more of a hysterical voice. I can't do that. What'll happen if the... That's the voice of insecurity. So when insecurity is dominating the picture. You are feeding the habit of insecurity. The muscle continues to grow. You continue to progress along the continuum. So we need to stop the feeding, the indiscriminate feeding of the habit of insecurity. And you can do this. Every battle matters. Every time you back off from feeding an insecurity, every time you pull yourself back from needless worry, every time you try to be more present and you try to just exist in the moment rather than some anticipatory fantasy about something that's going to go awry tomorrow or next month or next year. Handling life in the moment. I mean, that's stressful enough. I mean, we have challenges all the time. But what's important is that you realize that the challenges on your plate right now are manageable. When you start to add to that All the possible challenges that might ensue tomorrow, the next day, next week, now it becomes insurmountable. You're overwhelming yourself. And the stress continues, the stress depletes, and shame on you. You're listening to insecurity. What does the healthy voice in you say? Well, the healthy voice in you has perspective. Now, maybe you're being challenged in the moment, but the healthy voice looks at it very pragmatically. What can be done, what can't be done. You know, it's the old serenity prayer. And you're not extrapolating into all of these anticipated, I call it time traveling, you know, leaping forward into the future, all these things that may go awry. If you're depressed, you're pulling yourself in with regrets and you're you're stuck somewhere in the past, but you're not, you're not dealing with what's on your plate right now. As you begin to challenge. The habit of insecurity, or I should say more specifically, the habit of insecurity-driven thinking. As you begin to challenge the habit of insecurity thinking, here's a key, over time. Habits, you know, are not something that happened one time and then we developed a habit. These are literally changes in our neuroanatomy, in our brains. They're what we call habit loops. So if you have a habit of worrying, let's stick with worrying. That habit exists not just in your mind, but it also exists in the chemistry of your brain, in the anatomy of your brain. And that's why habits and habit loops are resistant because basically you say to yourself, well, I'm not worrying right now. And you stop that that worry thought. You distract yourself, you get more present, you handle it more directly, and you're proud of yourself in that moment. Good for you. That's that's the motivational you that we want. But you have to be realistic. You have to understand that that little battle, as significant as it is, is a start. It's not a finish. The habit loop exists in your brain. You need to retrain. I shouldn't say train. You need to redefine the chemistry in your brain. Maybe the best way to say it is you have to restructure your brain. You neutralize the old habit loop, by not feeding it, it begins to atrophy. Like anything else that's not reinforced, it begins to atrophy, leaving room now to replace that with a more healthy habit loop, one of self-confidence, where the self-trust says, you know what, I've handled so many things in my life, why do I think I can't handle the next thing? Sure I can. So with a little bit of self-confidence, With the right perspective not the distorted perspective of insecurity you give yourself a chance you give yourself a chance to handle life directly in the moment without the contamination of insecurity so insecurity is the culprit you know all these over controlling strategies all the things that have generated anxiety and depression they're really part of our evolutionary survival mechanisms I mean, anxiety is revving up the system. We're just trying to protect ourselves. The problem is we're trying to protect ourselves because we don't trust ourselves or because we're fantasizing some kind of distorted projection of what might happen. But ultimately, it has to do with self-distrust. But anxiety is the reason it's there is because without self-trust, you're just trying to protect yourself. Same with depression. You're just trying to withdraw that energy rather than you know, getting crushed by life. You're trying to withdraw from life. See, these are survival. You can't blame the evolutionary wisdom of your body. Insecurity came about because you felt vulnerable. So you can't blame a child for trying to develop strategies to feel less vulnerable. Unfortunately, these are the strategies that have evolved the stressful response that depletes you and causes anxiety depression etc so it all sounds so simple doesn't it well you know it kind of it is but it's, you know, i've always felt that you know psychology doesn't need to be rocket science once you understand the fundamental understanding that struggling with anxiety and depression doesn't make you abnormal you're a normal person who has become contaminated and you're thinking has become contaminated and distorted by insecurity. And you're trying to take yourself back. So we need to shed the insecurity-driven thinking. And we do that you know, one thought at a time over time. You wanna play a musical instrument? You can't play that piece in one sitting. You've got to practice it and practice it and practice it over time. If you are struggling, and if you really want to stop struggling, if let's qualify it, if you have very severe anxiety or depression, you can benefit from medication. I see it as a therapy facilitator. If you have mild to moderate, your job then is to unlearn the feeding process exclusively, doing that, catching yourself as often as you can, injecting a healthy perspective. Now, you may not always be able to do that, but Even if you can just say, well, who's talking right now? Is that my insecurity or is that my healthy voice? If you can just differentiate who's doing the thinking at any given moment, and if you conclude it's your insecurity, at least that puts you in a position to have a choice. Maybe you could then say, now, wait a second, if that's insecurity making me worry about something that may happen or may not happen, maybe I don't have to think that. Maybe I could let that go and just trust that I'll handle it. So you've got to battle. And it's a way to put it. You have to battle yourself back to the normalcy that's available to you, and I should say the solace. I don't like that word normal. And after this whole podcast, I'm finally telling you I don't like the word normal. You anyway, know, I have been using it all through the through the podcast. I don't like the word normal because it implies that there is normal, abnormal, and I don't like that dichotomy. I like the word solace. There is solace that comes from living correctly, and I'm going to spend more time in upcoming podcasts, you know, just expanding my wave theory, which can help with all of this. So stay tuned. And that that was, you know, today I just wanted to dispel some of the myths. The myth that I felt, again, as a graduate student, feeling that if you took medication, it scared me as a therapist because, oh my God, these people really have problems, as opposed to someone not taking medication. Yeah, those people don't really have problems. They're not taking medication. See, all of that was just dichotomizing, taking normal people and just making judgments, judgments that really interfered with seeing the whole person, regardless of where you are on that continuum. See yourself as a whole person. If you struggle, okay, so insecurity is part of your life. Maybe you're identified with that, but you're going to take your life back. And that's where I started off with my initial rant about self-coaching being different from coaching. Yeah, we want to coach you to take your life back. I want to coach you to battle off the thoughts of insecurity that are pounding you and holding you hostage. And that takes motivation. Now, I do that with my clients. I do that as much as I can to be the voice of motivation. But you listening to this podcast, you can do it yourself. You need to do it yourself. You need to go to battle to take your life back to release yourself from needless, reflexive adherence to the dictates of insecurity. And and no finer time to promote my, my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. I mean, that's my program right there. The steps that are involved in taking your life back from insecurity. Unlearning. And the unlearning is exactly what I've been talking about. We're neutralizing old habit loops, we're unlearning those habits, and we're replacing them with more healthy perspective based on self-trust. I'm sorry to be going all over the place with this, but it's funny how, how your, your mind just jumps There's So much I wanted to say, and I hope I, I didn't confuse you too much, but the reason I'm really invested in this type of podcast is because people are stuck in their suffering and they don't realize that there is a way out. There is a process. And I guess what confuses a lot of people is that they don't realize it's a process. You know, they're they're always looking for magic, you know, abracadabra kind of solutions, somebody that's going to give them that magic word or give them the answer. The answer is within you and it's a process. And if you accept that, if you understand the process and the steps involved in the process, then as I say, It ain't rocket science. You can do it. So until next time, if you get a chance, visit my website, selfcoaching.net. And take a look at my uh, other books there and uh, my philosophy, if you're so inclined. If you're not inclined, then please don't bother. (laughs) So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. And by definition, victims are powerless. And you're not powerless. So remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me every week. Let's make it Believe simple yourself, together. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Oh.